Chapter 15 of The Pioneers, or The Sources of the Susquehanna, a descriptive tale by James Fenimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 15 Quote, As he lay on that day, in the day of Biscayo. Oh. Previously to the occurrences of the scene at the Bold Dragoon, Elizabeth had been safely reconducted to the mansion house, where she was left as its mistress, either to amuse or employ herself during the evening, as best suited her own inclinations. Most of the lights were extinguished, but as Benjamin adjusted with great care and regularity four large candles in as many massive candlesticks of brass in a row on the sideboard, the hall possessed a peculiar air of comfort and warmth, contrasted with the cheerless aspect of the room she had left in the academy. Remarkable had been one of the listeners to Mr. Grant, and returned with her resentment which had been not a little excited by the language of the judge, somewhat softened by reflection and the worship. She recollected the youth of Elizabeth, and thought it no difficult task, under present appearances, to exercise that power indirectly, which hitherto she had enjoyed undisputed. The idea of being governed, or being compelled to pay the deference of servitude, was absolutely intolerable, and she had already determined within herself, some half-dozen times, to make an effort that should at once bring to an issue the delicate point of her domestic condition. But as often as she met the dark, proud eye of Elizabeth, who was walking up and down the apartment, musing on the scenes of her youth and the change in her condition, and perhaps the events of the day, the housekeeper experienced an awe that she would not own to herself could be excited by anything mortal. It, however, checked her advances, and for some time held her tongue-tied. At length she determined to commence the discourse by entering on a subject that was apt to level all human distinctions, and in which she might display her own abilities. It was quite a wordy sermon that Parson Grant gave us to-night, said Remarkable. The church ministers be commonly smart sermonizers, but they write down their ideas, which is a great privilege. I don't think that by nature they are as tonguey speakers for an off-hand discourse as the standing order ministers. And what denomination do you distinguish as being the standing order? inquired Miss Temple with some surprise. Why, the Presbyterians, and Congregationals, and Baptists, too, for till now, and all stitch as don't go on their knees to prayer. By that rule, then, you would call those who belong to the persuasion of my father the sitting order, observed Elizabeth. I'm not sure I ever heard him spoke of by any other name than Quaker so-called, returned Remarkable, betraying a slight uneasiness. I should be the last to call them otherwise, for I never in my life used a disparaging 
harm of the judge or any of his family. I've always set store by the Quakers. They're so pretty-spoken, clever people, and it's a wonderment to me how your father come to marry into a church family, for they are as contrarian religion as can be. One sits still, and for the most part says nothing, while the church foals practice all kinds of ways, so that I sometimes think it quite musical to see them, for I went to a church meeting once before down country. You have found an excellent in the church liturgy that was here to escape me. I will thank you to inquire whether the fire in my room burns. I feel fatigued from my journey, and will retire. Remarkable felt a wonderful inclination to tell the young mistress of the mansion that by opening a door she might see for herself. But prudence got the better of resentment, and after pausing some little time as a salve to her dignity, she did as desired. The report was favorable, and the young lady, wishing Benjamin, who was filling the stove with wood, and the housekeeper each a good night, withdrew. The instant the door closed on Miss Temple, Remarkable commenced a sort of mysterious, ambiguous discourse that was neither abusive nor commendatory of the qualities of the absent personage, but which seemed to be drawing nigh, by regular degrees, to a most dissatisfied description. The major-domo made no reply, but continued his occupation with great industry, which, being happily completed, he took a look at the thermometer, and then opening a drawer on the sideboard, he produced a supply of stimulants that would have served to keep the warmth in his system without the aid of the enormous fire he had been building. A small stand was drawn up near the stove, and the bottles and glasses necessary for convenience were quietly arranged. Two chairs were placed by the side of this comfortable situation, when Benjamin, for the first time, appeared to observe his companion. Come! Come! he cried. Come, Miss Bess Remarkable, bring yourself to a anchor on this chair. It's a peeler without, I could tell you, good woman. But what cares I? Blow high or blow low, do you see? It's all the same to Ben. The niggers are snug stove below before a fire that would roast an ox hole. That thermometer stands at fifty-five. But if there's any virtue in good maple wood, I'll weather upon it before one glass as much as ten points more, so that the squire, when he comes home from Betty Hollister's warm room, will feel as hot as a hand that has been given the rigging a lick with bad tar. Come, mistress, bring up in this here chair, and tell me how you like our new heiress. Why, to my motion, Mr. Pengolin. Bump, bump, interrupted Benjamin. It is Christmas Eve, mistress remarkable, and so D.C., you had better call me Pump. It's a shorter name, and I's mean to pump this here decanter till it sucks. Why, you may as well call me Pump. Do you ever? cried Remarkable, with a laugh that seemed to unhinge every joint in her body. You're a musical creature, Benjamin, when the notion takes you. But as I was saying, I rather guess that times will be altered now in this house. Altered? exclaimed the major-domo, eyeing the bottle that was assuming the clear aspect of cut glass with astonishing rapidity. It don't matter much. 
Mistress Remarkable, so long as I keep the keys of the lockers in my pocket. I can't say, continued the housekeeper, but there's good eatables and drinkables enough in the house for a body's content. A little more sugar, Benjamin, in the glass, for Squire Jones is an excellent provider. But new lords, new laws, and shouldn't I wonder if you and I had an uncertain time on't in footer? Life is uncertain as the wind blows, said Benjamin, with a moralizing air, and nothing is more variable than the wind, Mistress Remarkable, unless you happen to fall in with the trades, do you see? And when you may run for the matter of a month at a time, with studding sails on both sides, alow and aloft, and with the cabin boy at the wheel. I know that life's a bit uncertain, said Remarkable, compressing her features to the humor of her companion, but I expect there will be great changes made in the house to rights, and that you will find a young man put over your head, as there is one that wants to be over mine. And after being settled as long as you have, Benjamin, I should judge that would be hard. Promotion should go according to length of service, and the major domo, and if so be, they had chipped a hand for my berth, a place in new steward aft, I shall throw up my commission in less time than you can put a pilot boat in stays. Top, Squire Dickon, this was a common misnomer with Benjamin, is a nice gentleman, and as good a man to sail as heart could wish. Yet I shall tell the squire, do you see, in plain English, as that's my native tongue, that if so be is thinking of putting any Johnny Raw over my head, why, I shall resign. I began forward, Mistress Pettibones, and worked my way aft like a man. I was six months aboard a Garnsey lugger, hauling in the slack of the lee sheet and coiling up rigging. From that I went a few trips in a fore and after in the same trade, which, after all, was but a blind kind of sailing in the dark, where a man learns but little, excepting how to steer by the stars. Well, then, do you see? I learned how a topmast should be slushed, and how a top-gallant sail was to be becketed. And when I did small jobs in the cabin, such as mixing the skipper's grog, twas there I got my case, which you must have often seen, is excellent. Well, here's better acquaintance to us. Remarkable nodded a return to the compliment, and took a sip of the beverage before her, for, provided it was well sweetened, she had no objection to a small potation now and then. After this observance of courtesy between the worthy couple, the dialogue proceeded. You have great experiences in life, Benjamin, for, as the scripture says, they that go down in the sea in ships See the works of the Lord. Ay, for that matter, they in brigs and schooners too, and at Mott say, the works of the devil. The sea, Mistress Remarkable, is a great advantage to a man in the way of knowledge, for he sees the fashions of nations and the shape of a country. Now I suppose for myself here, who is but an unlearned man to some of the fellows of the seas, I suppose that taking the coast from Cape Lerhogue, as low down as Cape Finish there, there isn't so much as a headline, or an island that I don't know either the name of it, or something more or less about it. Take enough, woman, to color the water. Here's sugar. It's a sweet tooth, 
that fellow that you hold on upon yet, Miss Pettibones. But, as I was saying, take the whole coast along. I know it as well as the way from here to the Pole Dragoon, and a devil of acquaintance is the Bay of Biscay. Whew! I wish I could but hear the wind blow there. It sometimes takes two to hold one man's hair on his head. Scuttling through the bay is pretty much the same as traveling the roads of this country up one side of a mountain and down the other. Do tell, exclaimed Remarkable. And does the sea run as high as the mountains, Benjamin? Well, I will tell, but first let's taste the grog. Mm, it's the right kind of stuff, I must say, that you keep in this country. But then you're so close abroad the West Indies. You make but small run of it. By the Lord Harry, woman, if Garnsey only lay somewhere between Cape Hatteras and the Bight of Logan, but you'd see rum cheap, and to the seas they run more in uppers in the Bay of Biscay, unless it may be a sou'wester, when they tumble about quite handsomely. Though it's not in the narrow sea that you are to look for a swell. Just go off the western islands in a westerly blow, keeping the land on your larboard hand with a ship's head to the southward, and bring to under a close reef topsail, or mayhap a reef topsail with a fore-topmast staysail, and mizzen staysail to keep her up to the sea, if she will bear it, and I there for the matter of two watches if you want to see mountains. Why, good woman, I've been off there in the broadishly frigate when you could see nothing but some such matter as a piece of sky, mayhap as big as the mainsail. And then again, there was a hole under your leak quarter, big enough to hold the whole British Navy. Oh, for massy's sake! And weren't you afraid, Benjamin? And how did you get off? Afeard? Who the devil do you think was to be frightened at a little salt water tumbling about his head? as of getting off when we had enough of it, and had washed our decks down pretty well. We called all hands for to see the watch below was in their hammocks, all the same as if they were in one of your best bedrooms. And so we watched for a smooth time, clapped her helm hard a other, let fall the foresail, and got the tack aboard. And so, when we got her afore it, I ask you, Miss Prettybones, if she didn't walk, didn't she? I'm no liar, good woman, when I say I saw that ship jump from the top of one sea to another, just like one of these squirrels that fly, jumps from tree to tree. What? Clean out of the water? exclaimed Remarkable, lifting her two lank arms with her bony hands spread in astonishment. It was no easy matter to get out of the water, good woman for the spray flew so that you couldn't tell which was the sea or which was the cloud. So we kept her for it for the matter of two glasses. The first lieutenant, he couldn't the ship himself. And there was four quartermasters at the wheel, besides the master with six forecastle men in the gun-room and the relieving tackles. But then she behaved herself so well. Oh, she was a sweet ship, mistress. That one frigate was worth more to live in than the best house in the island. If I was king of England, I'd have her hauled up to London Bridge and fit her up 
for a palace, because why? If anybody can afford to live comfortably, his majesty can. Well, but Benjamin, cried the listener, who was in an ecstasy of astonishment at his relation of the steward's dangers. What did you do? Do? Why, we did our duty like hardy fellows. Now, if the countrymen of Monsieur Lacroix had been aboard her, they would have just struck her ashore on some of them small islands. But we run along the land until we found her dead to leeward off the mountains of Pico. And damn me, if I know to this day how we got there, whether we jumped over the island or hauled around it. But there we was, and there we lay under easy sail, for reaching first upon one tack and then the other, so as to poke her nose out now and then to take a look to windward, till the gale blowed its pipe out. I wonder now, exclaimed Remarkable, to whom most of the terms used by Benjamin were perfectly unintelligible, but who had got a confused idea of a raging tempest. It must be an awful life, that going to sea, and I don't feel astonishment that you are so affronted with the thoughts of being forced to quit a comfortable home like this. Not that the body cares much for it, and there's more houses than one to live in. Why, when Judge agreed with me to come and live with him, I had no more notion of stopping any time than anything. I happened in just to see how the family did about a week after Miss Temple died, thinking to be back home again night. But the family was in such a distressed way that I couldn't help but stop a while and help them on. I thought the situation a good one, and seeing that I was an unmarried body, and they were so much in want of help, I tarried. And a long time you left your anchors down in the same place, mistress. I think you must find that the ship rides easy. How you talk, Benjamin! There's no believing a word you say. I must say that the judge and Squire Jones have both acted quite clever so long. But I see now we shall have a specimen to the contrary. I heard say that the judge was gone a great board, and that he meant to bring his daughter home. But I didn't calculate on sich carryings on. To my motion, Benjamin, she's likely to turn out a dispute ugly gal. Ugly, echoed the major-domo opening eyes that were beginning to close in a very suspicious sleepiness, in wide amazement. By the Lord, Larry, woman, I should as soon call the calling of the Britishy a clumsy frigate. What the devil would you have? Aren't her eyes as bright as the morning and evening stars? And isn't her hair as black and glistening as rigging that has just had a lick of tar? Doesn't she move as stately? as a first-rate in smooth water on a bowline? Why, woman, the figurehead of the Broadishy was a fool to her, and that, as I've often heard the captain say, was an image of a great queen. And aren't queens always comely, woman? For who do you think would be a king and not choose a handsome bedfellow? Talk decent, Benjamin, said the housekeeper or I won't keep your company. I don't gainsay her being comely to look on, but
but I maintain she's likely to show poor conduct. She seems to think her too good to talk to a body. From what Squire Jones had told me, I some expected to be quite captivated by her company. Now to my reckon, Louise Currant is much more pretty behaved than Betsy Temple. She wouldn't so much as hold discourse with me when I wanted to ask her how she felt on coming home and missing her mammy. Perhaps she didn't understand you, woman. You are none of the best linguister. And then Miss Lizzie has been exercising the king's English under a great lawn on lady, and for that matter can talk the language almost as well as myself or any native-born British subject. You've forgot your schooling, and the young mistress is a great scholar. Mistress, cried Remarkable, don't make one out to be a nigger, Benjamin. She's no mistress of mine, and never will be. And as to speech, I hold myself as second to nobody out of New England. I was born and raised in Essex County, and I've heard say that the Bay State has proverbial from pronunciation. I've often heard that of the Bay State, said Benjamin, but can't say that I've ever been in it, nor do I know exactly where away it is that it lays. But I suppose there is a good anchorage in it, and that it's no bad place for the taking of a ling. But for size it can't be so much as a yaw to a sloop of war compared to the Bay of Biscay, or mayhap Torbay. And as for language, if you want to hear the dictionary overhauled like a long line in a blow, you must go whopping, and listen to the Londoners as they tell out their lingo. Whosoever I see so mighty matter that Miss Lizzie has been doing to you, good woman, so take another drop off your bruise and forgive and forget, like an honest soul. No, indeed, and I shan't do such a thing, Benjamin. This treatment is newity to me, and I won't put up with it. I have a hundred and fifty dollars at use, besides a bed and twenty sheep to good, and I don't crave to live in a house where a body mustn't call a young woman by her given name to her face. I will call her Betsy as much as I please. It's a free country, and no one can stop me. I did intend to stop while summer, but I shall quit tomorrow morning, and I will walk just as I please. For that matter, Mistress Remarkable, said Benjamin, there is none here that will contradict you, for I'm of opinion that it would be as easy to stop a hurricane with a Barcelona handkerchief as to bring up your tongue when the stopper's off. I say, good woman, do they grow many monkeys along the shore of that bay state? You're a monkey yourself, Mr. Penguin, cried the enraged housekeeper, or a bear, a black beastly bear, and ain't fit for a decent woman to stay with. I'll never keep your company again, sir, if I should live thirty years with the judge. Stitch talk is more befitting the kitchen than keeping room of a house of one who is well-to-do in the world. Look, you Miss Pity Patty Pretty Bones, maybe I'm some such matter as a bear, as they will find who come to grapple with me. But damn me if I'm a monkey! a thing that chatters without knowing a word of what it says, a parrot that will hold a dialogue for what an honest man knows in a dozen languages, mayhap in the Bay State lingo, mayhap in Greek or High Dutch, 
but does it know what it means itself? Can't answer me that, good woman? Your midshipman can sing out and pass the word when the captain gives the order, but just send him adrift by himself and let him work the ship of his own head and stop my grog if you don't find all the Johnny Raws laughing at him. Stop my grog, indeed, said Remarkable, rising with great indignation and seizing a candle. You're groggy now, Benjamin, and I'll quit the room before I hear any misbecoming words from you. The housekeeper retired with a manner but little less dignified, as she thought, than the heir of the heiress, muttering as she drew the door after her, with a noise like the report of a musket. The onobrious terms, drunkard, sot, and peace. What's that you say is drunk? cried Benjamin fiercely, rising and making a movement toward Remarkable. You talk of mustering yourself with a lady. You're just fit to grumble and find fault. Where that devil should you learn behavior and dictionary? In your damn bay of state? Ha! Benjamin here fell back in his chair, and soon gave vent to certain ominous sounds, which resembled not a little the growling of his favorite animal, the bear, itself. Before, however, he was quite locked, to use the language that would suit the Delacruscan humor of Captain Refined Minds of the present day, in the arms of Morpheus. He spoke aloud, observing due pauses between his epithets, the impressive terms of monkey, parrot, picnic, tarpot, and lingusters. We shall not attempt to explain his meaning, nor correct his sentences and our readers must be satisfied with our informing them that they were expressed with all that coolness of contempt that a man might well be supposed to feel for a monkey. Nearly two hours passed in this sleep before the major-domo was awakened by the noisy entrance of Richard, Major Hartman, and the master of the mansion. Benjamin so far rallied his confused faculties as to shape the course of the two former in the respective apartments when he disappeared himself, leaving the task of securing the house to him who was most interested in its safety. Locks and bars were but little untended to in the early days of that settlement, and soon as Marmaduke had given an eye to the enormous fires of his dwelling, he retired. With this act of prudence closes the first night of our tale. End of chapter 15 this reading by Gary W. Sherwin of Yukon, Pennsylvania, in August of 2009.